Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. People think I like pain because of what I do. I don't like it. It's a great teacher. Okay? Come on, you I like you it. like it a little bit. Yeah, to a degree. There's, yeah. a, there's a degree, right? There's some of it. But I'm in pain, so I'm looking at how can I um, not even just be comfortable with that pain or that discomfort, it's how can I be more efficient with how I'm moving? Or for someone in everyday life, how can you be more efficient in how you're working, how you're spending your time? Because if I can be more efficient with how I'm moving as a runner, then can that discomfort and all that pain drop? Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. So our, our guest today is uh, is our first actually repeat guest on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. He was actually episode number 10, seems like a while ago, a couple years, man. Our guest is a speaker, endurance, adventure, mindset coach. So just a little recap. So our guest, I, I think he's a badass, one of my favorite people, because I mean, he's ran through the Sahara Desert, uh, down Mount Everest. One of my favorite feats was running through a tropical forest in China without any food, water, money, with a plane to catch. I mean, that's still the awesome best. He he um, created this race called the Ultimate Triathlon. So that is one of the top 10 documentaries uh, that I think, and I highly recommend you guys check that out. It's the Ultimate Triathlon. That was from Morocco to Monaco. It was a 12-day adventure, swim, bike, run, over 2,000 kilometers, uh, award-winning documentary. Our guest is now a repeat guest. Uh, he's also written a book called uh, Chasing Extreme. Very good book. Highly recommend that one as well. Uh, our guest is an Aussie who lives in Britain. I think he's going to be coming to the United States soon. I will definitely let everybody know when he does. But our guest is on the podcast because he is now a member of the Calendar Club. And the Calendar Club is very, very simple. It's, it's just not easy. But it's all you do for the Calendar Club, and that's what he's going to talk about, the experience, trials, tribulations, and how that relates, again, I think, to life. But all, all the Calendar Club is is the day of the month is you run that mileage for that day. So day number one of the month, you run one mile. Uh, the second day, two, three, four, and so on. So obviously, as you can see, if you start adding it up, the total miles, 501 miles total throughout the month. And he just finished this. Our guest today is Luke Tybersky. Luke, thanks for joining us again, buddy. Thanks, Dr. Rob. It's always an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And yeah, I'm excited to, to share with your community what it was like to run the Calendar Club. And you're so right. It's such a simple concept, but it's not easy. You know, I could see, you know, I, I like doing crazy stuff too. And it's still one that personally, I'm like, man, you know, once you hit 20, you've got, that, that's a lot of stretches to go. I mean, how, let me start with this question, Luke. You know, answer the question about this on, on the why. Why, why again, why this challenge? Why do this one? Yeah, it's it's the best place to start anything, really. It's It's a funny one, really, because... The reason why I did the Calendar Club was because I had to um, pivot. You know, to use your your language, I had a hinge moment like everyone else in the world where the coronavirus hit. You know, COVID-19 turned 2020 upside down. And from about April, from my physical standpoint, from all the adventures and challenges that I had planned, Every week, I'm getting a phone call from a company that was going to sponsor something to say they've pulled out because now they've got to keep yeah, resources. Um, races are getting cancelled and things like this. So I'm thinking, right, like this is a hinge moment. I can either start complaining 
and I can start thinking, poor me, why is this happening? I had all these amazing opportunities to travel around the world this year to do races and adventures and things like this, and now they're all being, and I'm using air quotes here, taken away from me. So I use this moment, this hinge, to then pivot to say, okay, this is an opportunity to do something that I never planned for. So with my training throughout the back end of last year and the start of this year, I was training for a big triathlon in Switzerland where the, it was very bike heavy. So you cycled about um, 100 and uh, I think it was like 155 miles on the bike or something like that um, with uh, about 20,000 feet of climbing, um, 25,000 feet of climbing. That piece of cake. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, you go up and down three mountain passes in Switzerland. Um, And then the run was, uh, I think it was a a 20-mile run, and I think you climbed about another 10,000 feet or whatever it was to, um, basically, you you climb the height of Everest. Uh, I couldn't do the maths in my head if people are thinking that doesn't equate to the amount of Everest, but whatever you do on the bike and the run is the height of Everest. So I was training really hard for that bike ride because it was the main part of it. And only running sort of once or twice a week um, for this for this year, and then this race got cancelled. It was a bit of a production for me. I had a videographer coming out to film it. I had all these other projects on the side of it, so then that got pulled. And initially, I said, "Well, I've got all this bike fitness, and I've been training quite hard. What am I going to do with it? I have to do something with it, you know, because it's just I've trained so hard. So where's the release?" So then I did a virtual Everesting, which is basically cycling up and down one singular climb on my turbo trainer in my lounge room to the height of Everest, 8,884 metres. And I did that at the end of July. At the start of July, I thought, well, what am I going to do in August after this bike thing because I had all these other things cancelled? So for that as context, now to actually answer your question why I did it, it was because I had nothing else to do. It was it was it was plain and simple as that. But in saying that, is I trained a lot on the bike and I was working really hard. It's the fittest I've ever been on my bike since I first bought it in 2012. Um, so I've been a cyclist for eight years and it's by far the fittest I've ever been. I don't say that lightly. And I thought, well, I'm getting off the bike at the end of July. Let's do something in August. And I'm thinking, what can I do where it's close to home? Um, it's manageable. I thought, well, what, what is that? And I remember um, a friend of mine, I think earlier this year, Mike Wardian, a very esteemed ultra runner, he did this thing called the Calendar Club. And I thought that was cool. And I remember a guy a couple of years ago who did it and it popped into my head and I thought, I wonder if I can translate the massive amount of cycling I'd been doing plus the the two runs a week where I was running maybe anywhere between 20 and 30 miles in total a week, so not a huge amount of miles, over two runs, Um, I wonder if I can use that bike fitness plus that little bit of run fitness and complete the calendar club. So it was a bit of I've got nothing else to do and also a bit of an experiment as well. So how strong were your legs after all that bike training? Well, I think that was super strong. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, um, I dropped off a little bit on my strength training, um, and that was just a. I dropped the ball a little bit. I gyms closed in in the UK like they did everywhere in the world, and with that, I, you know, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I just didn't do much strength training over you know, March, April, May, and June. Luke, let's be honest, man. You're you're like one mile from perfect, though. <laughs> no. Right? Two push-ups from perfect, maybe. Maybe half a dozen. Um, <laughs> but I did do a lot of um, strength work on the bike. I was doing a lot of climbing on the bike. So my legs were got, were bigger. Um, I could, we, we could see them. I could feel them in trousers and in, and in shorts and stuff. So I felt like they were quite strong because I'm literally training to cycle up a mountain um, eight times to climb the height of Everest on Go Swift, the the cycling app. And uh, so I felt very strong and I thought using that fitness, 
as well as you know doing a run a couple of times a week you know one run was normally anywhere between seven and ten miles and the other one was anywhere between 10 miles and 18 miles um i thought yeah let's let's give it a go so the early part of the calendar club uh anybody can do i mean you know five six seven even getting on there so how did it start out for you and and your overall mindset so day one people probably think it's a bit of a it's pointless to run a mile day one i would say that mile was one of the toughest miles um out of the whole month because you want to run more no, no, no. There's oh, okay. There's a very specific reason. Yep. Because I did the virtual Everesting on the 30th of July, and on the 1st of August I ran a mile. So I cycled for over 12 hours up and down a mountain on the turbo trainer, and then I had one day rest, and then I had to get up and then run a mile. So my legs didn't know what the hell was going on. I hadn't ran at all in about two and a half weeks. And then I got off the bike doing 12 hard hours to then run this mile. All I can say is I probably look like a baby giraffe trying to run. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so the first the first part of it was just a case of just show up every day. And it was a case of – and this is what really um, – was part of the, I guess, mantra you could you could sort of say that I kept in my mind throughout the whole 31 days was show up every day, you know, show up, get out the door, take that first step. So when things when things are easy, it's easy to show up because it, it doesn't take any effort. So I started to tell myself on day one, day two, day three, day four, right, let's show up today. Even though I didn't even have to use any sort of mental strength, I didn't have to really use any internal motivation. It was just going to happen naturally. But I made a point of telling myself, this is easy. I've got to run one mile, two miles, three miles, but let's really show up today. And I I had an intention every day of August to make sure I told myself, I pat myself on the back, I reassure myself that if I just show up every day, I'm going to finish this. So I made that intention from day one that I would be mentally talking to myself of making sure I do show up every day, even when it's easy, when it's, you know, the first week. Because then if I can start to do that, I start to create a habit. I start to create that feedback loop. I start to use the correct language between my ears in the earlier stages to then be able to carry that over to the latter stages. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. Our new book, Puke and Rally, it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. It can be bought anywhere books are sold or go to the website pukeandrallybook.com. And I, I think that's a great part because everyone starts out, you know, I don't set New Year's resolutions, but a lot of people do. But, you know, everyone starts out with the great intentions about that. So their mantra has to be, again, just show up. And my question is this, is did you dial in your routine? Like, did you really get in that habit of same time every day, you know, eating the same thing? How did how did that part work? Yeah, so, so the first – was sort of split into two parts, this challenge. The first week um, – I didn't really. I always said to myself, I want to get up and and do some mobility, have some food, and then go and run just to get it done because I'm still working. You know, I still had um, coaching clients who I had calls with. Um, I still had some projects online I was doing. I still had a um, some other projects I had to pitch to other companies to do some speaking and workshops and things like that. So we sort of said the first half of the month, like carry on and do that. Um, And then from day six to day 10, my wife and I went away to the countryside um, as our summer holiday, you know, sort of four nights away and that was it. So then we went and did that, which was was amazing, running along the coast, although that was a bit hilly, not quite flat, not quite ideal, you know, doing sort of like um, two and a half, three thousand feet of climbing over six, seven miles. Um, (laughs) Wow. Which, yeah, I think day seven took us three hours. Uh, mile seven took us three hours because it was so hilly. Um, but so when, when we got back 
on so day 10 we were on it. day 11 it was then a case of right let's start building a routine and that routine was um i get up and i do i've got some vibrating foam rollers from a company called pulse roll who support me and i put them on and i get some blood flow plop my calves on there to get some blood flow through the calves and the hamstrings while I had some breakfast that sort of changed whatever I ate, whatever I felt like, and then did some mobility, and then started walking around, started getting my kit ready, um, sorted myself out, and then I would go. And I would try and be out by 8 o'clock um, okay. every morning. So I, I, some days I was quarter past. Um, as I got later, there was a few days that were 8.30 because I just needed more sleep and, and I was a bit more tired. Other days it was 7.30, 745 stuff like that but it was around that time and from day 11 to day 31 that morning routine to get out the door and run was exactly the same that was dialed in yeah yeah i figured that man because i would always i mean we'd always catch it up on you know your instagram feed but being over here in the states obviously that was a bit delayed so i mean how important um I mean, I would just see it. I mean, that, that routine becomes so important, doesn't it? I mean, it kind of, what did you notice about when you start getting in that routine every day? Did your self-talk change? I mean, what, what started to happen? And I guess I'm not at the end part. I'm still kind of in the middle here, you know, 11 to, because you broke it up into three sections. But when you're kind of in the middle there, how did that, um, you know, keep you going? And, and what was that experience like? I, I guess for people... For people like uh, who are looking to just achieve success on a daily basis, i.e. accomplish the day and do what they want to do in the day, it's a bit like writing a to-do list the night before. If you write your to-do list the night before, you get up in the morning and you have direction. You know what you should be doing. You know what you need to do. You've already made that intention. So through in that middle section, it was a case of, I got up and I knew exactly what I had to do. I didn't have any other distractions. I didn't have um, anything else. Oh, I'll just check emails. Oh, I'll just do this. Oh, I'm going to. No, it was I've got these things to do and I'm just going to do it. So if that was my morning to do list. So it gave me direction. And the more I did, I realized like I get out the door on time. And when I get out the door on time, that means I finish on time. And when I finish on time, and probably we'll talk about this in a second, my recovery routine when I finish. So then I, if, I, if I leave later, I get less recovery. If I'm efficient in the morning, because I do the same thing every morning, because I've set that atten- intention and because I've, I've written that to-do list in my head that, and then I do it every day, it becomes easier because you have direction and you know what you need to do every morning and that's what I was doing I knew what I needed to do because I did it every single morning so I wasn't blindsided by anything else because I knew what I the task I had to do as soon as I got up then after I did that then after I did that then I got out the door yeah you know I wonder if people make the mental crosswalk into their own life by hearing this because I, I make it very easy you know but it's like a lot of times you know, talking with some athletes like, well, I never really thought about one more, just one more can apply to my schoolwork. But so I hope they're making that because I see it. It's like, man, right in the books, you wake up, you, you delve right in and, and there's no other distractions. That's, that's your focus. And it was for one hour every day and just like a workout. So I hope people are making that, that mental crosswalk. Cause I mean, it's, this is, this is life, man. And that routine that you had and discipline and, and the recovery piece. So I guess lead us into that, man. What what was that actual recovery part look like? What was that routine like? Yeah, so I'm I'm I like to think that I'm smart because You are uh, smart. I you haven't you haven't heard what I'm gonna say why. <laughs> um because I'm married an osteopath, right? So <laughs> uh, I'm I'm an endurance athlete and I'm married an osteopath. It's a perfect fit. Um, my wife, Vanda, who's extremely supportive, and yeah, it, I didn't just do this challenge and say, right, I'm doing it. Anything that I do that lasts more than half a day, we have a discussion about because we always know that she's going to be involved in some way, whether that's she just has to let me do my thing for the day or a week or she's involved because she's my physical therapist. 
You know, she treats me every week without fail. Um, so we knew to make my life easier when I ran, I had to have my recovery dialed in. Now, I think I naturally recover quite well. It's just the way that I'm made up, my genetics. You watch the ultimate triathlon, you'll see me bounce back um, when I come from a pretty tough place. Um, but that comes from years of also being dedicated to doing the stuff you don't want to do when you feel like you don't want to do it. And that can be translated to life or when you've just finished running 20 miles. So I would get home and uh, I would normally take anywhere between 30 seconds and two or three minutes to when I stop and I came into our front yard to either sit down on the brick wall out the front or just stand somewhere and just have a period of time by myself to then give myself a bit of space between, okay, I finished the run, now I'm going to start the recovery. Well, you finish the run, you're moving forwards. You start the recovery, you're moving forwards. That 30 seconds to two minutes, I want it to be still for a minute. That's great. Mentally, physically, emotionally, everything. I just want it to be still. And in that time, I didn't do anything special. I normally pat myself on the back, literally. And I normally say, you know, well done, good run. Let's just be here for a second. Let's, let's just relax before we then move forward, before we take action. So that was, for me, that's where recovery starts. You put, a, you put a gap, a space between finishing the run and starting the recovery. And then it was a, a not an ice bath, but a cold bath with um, like recovery salts, Epsom salts, magnesium salts, whatever you want to call it. Um, so cold bath because it was warm over here for the first half of the month. So there's a couple of days where I, I, and I very rarely do this, but I didn't even wear a shirt. So getting the cold bath to, and the magnesium salts to help the recovery, to try and help the muscles um, recover. And the cold bath was two things. One, it was to cool my core temperature down. And secondly, it was the, what's called um, hydrostatic pressure. So the pressure from being underwater, that is a bit like the Normatec boots, you know what I mean? So it's like squashes your muscles. So then that would flush it out. I'd have that for 15, 20 minutes. And then while I'm in the bath, and this might sound a bit weird for a lot of people, I would eat. So um, the first time you ever eat in a bath, it's a bit weird. Once you do it once or twice, you don't care. Um, I would have anything from a 33 Fuel protein bar, which I know you have tried their products, um, or their post-33 shake, um, to a smoothie just with, Something like their 33 fuel protein powder. They support me, so I use all their products um, with some berries, um, you know, some turmeric in there, some black pepper for recovery for inflammation, um, and some walnuts, things like that. And I'll have a smoothie, anything, all of those. And after about 15, 20 minutes, I would come out of the bath and I would lay on the couch and we have a Compex machine, which is like an electronic stimulus machine. And for the next hour, I would put that on all different parts of my body. Um, I would do four rounds of that. It normally goes for about 17 to 20 minutes, so just over an hour. Uh, within that time, uh, my wife would normally make me something to eat, so I'd eat again. Um, and then after that, from after about day 20, it was just stay on the couch and chill, maybe use a vibrating the massage gun from, from the guys at the Pulse, um, Pulse Roll as well. But then just chill out on the couch. If I had a couple of emails, if I had a couple of phone calls I needed to make, some coaching calls, I would do that. But the rest of the time, it was just chill Um, and then eat lots of food. Um, Two parts, man. I think, you know, I did that 24-hour challenge, like doing that every once in a while, four miles every four hours, 24 hours. My favorite part was when it finished. It It was so hot, man. It was in the high 80s and... I don't handle heat well anymore. I sat underneath the tree for like 45 minutes. My chocolate lab is there and just sat there, man, and pet her. And that was just so awesome, man. I really appreciate you sharing because I think we have to do that. We have to be able to pause, you know, take that reflection or just just be still. Uh, I think that's a great, great piece to it, man. I think that's important. When did – when was the first – oh, wow, that was a pretty tough day. Day twenty four. Twenty four. So you were you were you were dialed in up till twenty four. 
my yeah, I was hundred percent dialed in. Um, I won't say that my legs didn't hurt, but my legs were sore and tired. And this may sound weird for non-runners or not or athletes who or people who don't um, do a lot of athletics. My legs were sore and painful within my comfort zone. So my legs could be like that for hours and I could run at the same pace and I wasn't running at pace. So on my watch, all I had was miles. I didn't yeah. have pace and have time, just miles. But I could run at that pace for hours and hours and hours and hours. So it might be the last hour and my legs are a bit sore and painful, but I'm like, I can do this for at least another four or five hours. Fine. Day quick, 24. Quick question right before we get into day 24. Because, I mean, I think of like 20 is, I don't know, it's just a – demarcation line but you have 20 21 22 and you just made sure that your pace was slow enough that you could do that all day long whatever that pace was going to be my if you look at my strava so i'm on strava luke tabersky you can go and see that my pace um is pretty much stable there's a few days where it's a bit slower and she won't mind me saying this but those are the days when my wife ran with me um for like she might have ran eight miles on day 15 um and then you'll see like if you look at the days you'll see the first half is a little bit slow not a lot but a little bit slow in the second half but you'll see the days where i ran by myself or ran with friends who ran to my pace and that pace is dialed in right and then i was running at a what i say is first gear i'm not in neutral i'm working but I, I'm, I can talk, I can have a conversation, my heart rate's quite low, I'm really comfortable, and I'm not trying. I'm just in first gear ticking along. Day 24, woke up, a bit tired, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Started to run, and from the first step, my legs were just like, I don't want to do this today. <laughs> I don't want to run, um, and I'm not having fun. And it was a slog. And I think something like day 24 took me like half an hour longer than day 23, um, one mile, you know. But then, and I did everything normal afterwards, like my, so my mindset for that day was, okay, I've showed up to start with and I just need to keep putting one foot in front of the other. I wasn't thinking about day 25. I wasn't thinking about the day before. I was thinking about today. And I think a lot of people think the concept of whether it's running or in life, where people say, oh, you just put one foot in front of the other. That's how you achieve success. People hear that, but they don't truly understand when you break it down. For me, it was quite literally focus on putting one foot in front of the other. How can I be as efficient as possible putting one foot in front of the other? So if my legs hurt and if my legs are tired, can I change the way I lean? Can I change how I place my foot to be more efficient, to make that pain instead of an 8 out of 10, it's a 6? And then can I do that for 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 steps? And then can I just keep focusing on left, right, left, right? How's, how's my calves feeling? How my ankles? So I would do a check, a body check. You do that enough time. Yes, I'm going to get distracted by things and I and my mind goes away. But then I come back and go, right, let's just focus on one foot on, in front of the other. When you do that, half an hour goes by. An hour goes by. Another hour goes by. And you think, well, I've got three miles to go. This sucks, but I've only got three miles to go. So that's how I got through day 24. But then day 25, I got back up. I started running. And I was like, where did this come from? I felt like I did on day 21, day 22, 23. Um, day 26, marathon day, I um, I ran faster than I had done, I think, in a week and a half. Um, not because it was marathon day, not because of anything else. I felt really strong. You just got your second win back. and I mean, it would have had to have been all the training you did from cycling. I mean, that kind of kicked back in, right? Yeah, it was just a case of I had a bad day. You know, you've done enough ultra stuff to know that you have bad hours when you or bad two or three hours at a time. Um, you know, for someone that does maybe a 10K or a half marathon, you might have a bad mile, two bad miles, but then you come good. Well, in a 31-day challenge, you will have bad days 
and you'll have bad hours within days. And it's exactly the same thing. You keep pushing through, whether you do a 10K and, 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 and K7 to 8 is rough, 8 to 9 is a bit better, 9 to 10, you smash it. Um, so the same thing for me after after day 24. And then my question is this, and I'm kind of leading you a little bit. So we talk about that, hey, one step at a time, one day at a time, and you, and you break it down. But you were referring to you literally have to have your focus and your attention on your intention, and that is literally on just one step at a time. And so we always think ahead, right? If it's this bad right now at mile 17, how's that going to be at mile 24? And and we automatically then do that in life, right? It's like, man, if, if today sucks, how bad is tomorrow going to be? You, so you did a really good job of, you thought, of, of staying just focused just on that day and, and that moment? Yeah, because I was in pain. Yeah. <laughs> I People think I like pain because of what I do. I don't like it. It's a great teacher. Okay. Come on, you I like might. you like it a little bit. Yeah, to a degree. There's yeah. a there's a degree, right? There's some of it. But I'm in pain. So I'm looking at how can I um not even just be comfortable with that pain or that discomfort. It's how can I be more efficient with how I'm moving? Or for someone in everyday life, how can you be more efficient in how you're working, how you're spending your time? Because if I can be more efficient with how I'm moving as a runner, then can that discomfort and all that pain drop? And if that discomfort or that pain drops, then maybe it drops to a level where I am comfortable with that and I don't have to freak out and think about if it's like this now, what is it going to be like this tomorrow? If I can spend my energy and my effort and my attention in the here and now being more efficient and getting comfortable with um, my, how I'm moving, how I'm running now, then I know that's going to help me in the future. So am I going to think about what I can't control in the future? Or am I going to think about what I can control right now? And that in the running sense is my biomechanics or someone in, in the world that's say working in their job or um, a parent. Can you be more focused in that moment now? So to try and um, be more efficient, be more productive in what you're doing right now so then it doesn't get to or it's not as bad that a result in the in the future. Yeah, I, I firmly believe this, that we all have that second win too. I mean, physiologically, but I think we have it mentally, spiritually. I think if, as long as we stay in it, that second, third, fourth win will happen as long as we don't give up. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of people will disagree with you because good that's exactly and i think a lot of people the reason why they would is because they haven't given themselves a chance to get that second or third win and they say i never get that second win because as soon as it gets tough they quit yeah yeah i always think of the second win third win that's that's the gift um all right you have to earn yes so tell us then the last uh, few days after Marathon Day, you, you experienced an injury. Walk us through that, man. So it was actually Marathon Day now that I think of it. It was the last four miles. So I'm bounding along. Um, so I, for 29 days, I listened to nothing. I had no headphones, no nothing. Um, I had probably I had three people, four people run with me, my wife, um, two of my mates and one of my mates' girlfriend. Over the whole time, they ran with me. My wife probably ran with me 10 times. The other guys ran with me probably four or five times. Listened to nothing apart from two days. One day, I listened to one podcast for an hour. Um, just 15 minutes my, of mental toughness? It was <laughs> not 15 minutes of mental toughness. I had a third um, in there, but okay. They're not long enough, man. They're not long enough. Oh, right, right. Yeah, you need Joe Rogan's, sure. Yeah, so I did listen to one of Joe Rogan's. um, But it was only for – I listened to one podcast on one day, and then there was another day where I listened to two podcasts, and that was it. Marathon day was a podcast day. I don't know why. I ran down the river, turned around after 13 miles and ran back, got to four miles from home, and I'm just like living life. This is awesome. 
and then my hamstring just went like I can't even do the I don't even know how you explain it but just went really tight uh, like grabbed and I thought oh hang on I don't like that and then my calf did the same thing on the opposite leg left hamstring right calf and I thought whoa what's going on here so then I got focused my attention on that tried to figure it out thinking okay well, four miles be more efficient yeah that sucks got home did my recovery in the afternoons after the compacts and some food. Vanda, my wife, started to treat me, like doing some massage and stuff like that. She started to check me out. And she said, I think you've got some inflammation around your tendon. So you, your tendon connects to, you, to the muscle um, in my hamstring. So I was like, okay. And I said to her, are you concerned? She's like, no, it should be fine. Did some treatment. Woke up in the morning and I was like, you know what? I can't straighten my hamstring fully and I can't bend it all the way either. So I'm like, this could be rough. So day 27, went out to run, and it was a bit of a hobble and a bit of a shuffle. And I thought, oh, I, you know, it's it's quite sore here for a bit. And um, I think day 27 took me about 45 minutes longer than day 26, and I ran one extra mile. Um, and then day 28, I ran with a friend and... I got used to it a little bit, and I thought, okay, it's still sore. It's, it's, it's still running a little bit slower, but I'm I'm starting to get into it. And I thought, okay, maybe it's just going to ease itself out. But then day 29, 30 were just a slog. Um, it changed the way I ran. So my biomechanics changed because I couldn't extend my leg. I couldn't straighten my leg. I couldn't bend it all the way. So I had to create a new way of running going back to being focused in putting one foot in front of the other, I need to figure out a way of how I can be efficient to keep putting one foot in front of the other so I wouldn't get that really sharp pain in my hamstring. And basically every day it was a case of show up and just keep throwing one leg out in front of the other. So was there, um, did fear creep in there, man? Uh, fear of injury? Well, fear of, you know, yeah, injury, I, you know, I might not be able to get this done. I mean... So the great thing is, is when I've got such an amazing support unit, um, my wife is first and foremost, and also she is medically minded, is every night from day 26 onwards, when she would treat me, I'd do an hour of treatment with her, we would have a, what we call um, an adulting talk, where we'll, we would have a discussion and no emotions, but just point blank. And I would say, look, do you think it's wise for me to run tomorrow? And she would just say, look, there's no reason why I don't think you can't because it's not getting any worse. There's no tearing. Um, yes, it's angry and it's annoyed and it's hot and it's, you know, it's pissed off, but you're fine. And every day it wasn't getting worse. So for me, there's always a fear of injury, but it didn't play on my mind because I would just ask her and just say, look, do you, if, and the thing, if she said it's starting to tear, then I have to ask myself the question, what am I willing to risk to achieve this? But in terms of was there a fear of that I wouldn't do it, all I had to do was finish each day. And then at the end of each day, my wife and I, would, when I started to get this little niggle injury, we would have that discussion. And she would say, it's not getting any worse every day. So for me, I'm like... If it's not getting any worse, that just means I've got three days. I've got two days. I've got one more day to deal with this pain for like five, five and a half hours. Can I do that? I believe I can. And all I have to do is show up and tell myself, you're going to be in pain for five or so hours and then this day is done. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the next day. Just deal with today. And that was the process so I wouldn't let fear creep in. So I love your ability to make the adjustments in your stride and, and be efficient with your pain. That's a righteous statement. When I hear you sharing that, especially with your wife, and it's why you're so intelligent. <laughs> I agree. But um, you, need a, you need a team around you to be able to do these tough challenges. Isn't that right? A hundred percent. And even if it's someone on the phone, you know, so before I met my wife, I had an amazing uh, physiotherapist who I, who I worked with for many, many years. Um, and I, I no doubt I would have been on the phone with him. 
and talking to him. And I would have been doing my own treatment, my own massage, my own things. And if I really thought, actually, I just need him to check it out, he probably would have drove to me or I would have drove to him one afternoon and I would have, you know, let my recovery suffer a little bit for two out of the final six days to go and see him for treatment or even just having a phone conversation with him and talk me through it. Um, so, it's, yes, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm very uh, privileged to have married an osteopathic and treat me in my home and do that, but it's not to say you can't create that own team of people around you by having people on the phone or connecting with people online or having friends who can even really simply like, you know, come around and meet you and have lunch with you after you run every day to have some company if you've had a rough day. Yeah. You know, it's that type of stuff. You don't have to be top professionals in the field specifically dedicated to what you're trying to achieve. It's just having people around you who are going to support you. And when you have that, it makes what you're trying to do easier. Yeah. One of the things that I guilty about, man, is I'll have a, always have an ice cold Coke kind of waiting for me. Like when I'm done, I always kind of look forward to that. Did you have anything you were really looking forward to? Like when you got done each, each run that you were going to down pint maybe or no, no. See, I, I don't really have any vices. Um, look at that you. What, what people would deem as, and I use quotes, air quotes, unhealthy or whatever. Um, I, yeah, I've ate like really healthy, real food, stuff like that since I was 14. So I would come home and I'd be like, oh, I feel like a smoothie or I would feel like a 33 fuel bar because I know that would help me. And I, I like the taste of them, yeah. you know. Um, I, <laughs> I think the only thing that I craved, one, not craved, but I really felt like, and this is such a, <laughs> such a lame thing to say but it was like sparkling water with fresh lime i was just like oh it was a hot day and i'm like i just want some like soda water with some fresh lime and that was it yeah um, I, I crush those every day though yeah it was that's the same that's yeah that's our go-to drink so there was nothing yeah no there's nothing that was like oh after every big challenge or whatever that's what i felt like but that okay was it. all right that's great man i think that's why i i mean i wish i would say i'm not externally driven you know, I am externally driven. So, I mean, I look forward to that stuff and those little rewards that, that I have. And, and I'm talking about a small Coke. It's like an eight-inch yeah. Coke, you know, since we're talking about vices and how bad of a person I am. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, a, I'm a caffeine fiend, man. I, I wouldn't say a fiend, buddy. I have about I have two cups of coffee every day, and I'll have one in the afternoon. So, yeah. But this isn't about me, all right? Let's stop talking about me. This is, this is about you. All right, why the hamstring, man? What what happened with that? So that's a very good question, and it was the topic of conversation over dinner um, with my wife for the last week. And even now, like uh, we're recording this on the 3rd of September. I've been finished a couple of days now. And what we have come to believe is that the reason why my hamstring got um, – the tendon got inflamed – was at the end, say, 22 miles into marathon day, my body reached its limit of its running strength and fitness. So my body was strong enough and fit enough to run for 26 days of the calendar club, and then it just went, actually, you know what? I'm not strong enough to do anymore. Uh, you're not fit enough to do this. I'm going to start giving you little signals that I'm starting to break down because we're not prepared enough, well enough for this. And that's what we believe is why the hamstring did what it did. Now, how do we know this? Well, it's educated guesses, right, from Vanda treating me, but also to looking at my training or lack of running training because remember I trained to do a big cycle event and I did a big cycle event one day before I started this so carrying some fatigue from doing 12 hard hours cycling up the equivalent of Mount Everest having one day rest and then starting running every day with no rests that's um, carrying fatigue in but the other thing was 
I didn't run for two and a half weeks before I started this challenge. And for three months prior to that, I only ran twice a week. And as I said, it was one run, seven to 10 miles, and the other run was anywhere between 15 and 20 miles. So on paper, I actually didn't do a whole lot of running around four months leading up to this event. Although I did a, a lot of cycling, most weeks I was doing around like 12 hours of cycling a week uh, on top of the running, it got me to day, end of day, towards the end of day 26, where my running fitness, my running strength um, ran out and my body started to break down. And that's what we believed happened. So knowing what you know now, man, what would you have done different? And if you could phrase it in terms of like if someone else is thinking about this, like what, what, what would you have done different? Ran more in the lead up and more diligent in strength training for like the two months prior where the two months prior I just focused on doing climbing on the bike rather than climbing on the bike and strength training. Um, there's arguments for for and against for both of those, um, depending on if you talk to um, cycling coaches or cyclists who enjoy strength training or cyclists who just say, no, if you want to cycle up a hill, you just cycle up a hill and that's how you gain strength. Um, but for me and for anyone else, I would just say I definitely would run more. Um, as I said, like one of the reasons why I did this, it was a bit of an experiment to see how much of that cycling training could I carry over. And we got very close, you know, running twice a week um, and doing all the cycling. We got very close to finishing this in a very strong way. I'll be honest, like after, you know, before my hamstring tightened up and towards the end of day 26, this physically and mentally, apart from one day, didn't really touch the sides. It was, I was just cruising along. Um, so more running, more diligent with the strength training for the final two months. Um, and this is a massive excuse, but part of that was because the gyms weren't open. Um, but, you know, I still could have done body weight stuff and whatever. Um, but if people want to do it themselves, I would definitely say, um, depending on what they've done in the past, do some cross training. So if you, do, if you are a triathlete and you want to do this, definitely keep the cycling up because I think that's going to help to increase your aerobic capacity but minimize the amount of stress you're putting on your body from running um, because, you know, the thing was is you run 31 days if you do a, a month that has 31 days and you have no days off. So that means your body is pounding the pavement, the trails, whatever, for 31 days. Um, so really – you need to do as much training as you can aerobically. So on a bike would be good, even swimming or whatever. Um, but then also make sure you do back-to-back -back days of running in your training. Yeah. In the midst there, when it started to get really tough last week, like how were you after your recovery? I mean, was your mentally were you there or mentally were you just drained? And I mean, were you able to handle stuff? Good, great question. So I would normally finish around for the last week. I'd normally finish around twelve one o'clock, depending on how what time I got out and how long it took me. I would say I would come in and I'd had the bath and I would have to do the complex and I'll have my lunch normally about two thirty two o'clock, um, and it wasn't until about half an hour after I had that big meal. So I had my smoothie and my 33-fuel bar um, in the in the bath, and then I have a meal about 45 minutes after. And then after that, I came to life again. Like I was, I was with it, but don't ask me any sort of multiplication, you know, questions or anything like that because I'd be like, I don't understand what 7 plus 7 is. It's just too hard. So um, my cognitive... Um, state was a bit fuzzy but I would say say I finished at 12 30 by 3 30 um four o'clock I'm back with it and my wife would just be a bit like you were you were easier to handle when you were just on the couch and could barely put three words together now you're just annoying me <laughs> so I'd be back asking questions and bouncing around and carrying on and and having fun like I do 
but it would take me always around three, three and a half hours, two meals, and you know, putting my feet up before that state happened. So the finish, man, walk us through the finish and what that was like, what that felt like, man. Yeah, the the finish was was awesome in a word. Um, and the reason being was I threw it out to my uh, to some friends and just said, look, I got the final day. It just happened to fall on a, um, a public holiday here on the Monday, on a bank holiday. and What was the uh, holiday? Uh, in, uh, it's summer. So in the UK, in August, they have two holidays in, in August, one at the start, one at the end. Um, nothing of significance that I know of, um, <laughs> but that just because it's the summer. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so I know they're celebrating losing the Revolutionary War or something. Or I, I, I think this year it was it was celebrating that I was finishing the Calendar Club. I, I think, think so that, too, man. Yeah, they dedicated it this year to that. Luke Tiberski Day. I hope the Brits don't get mad at listening to this, man. They're like, <laughs> come on, they're they're cheeky enough, man. They can throw mud <laughs> too. Yeah, I so I put it out to some friends because I knew no one would be working. Um, do, do you want to come and run with me? So where where we live in Richmond in southwest London, um, there's a big park where it's um, seven and a half miles long on a trail around the outside. There's deer and loads of wildlife inside there. Um, there's one um, road around it with cars driving, lots of walkers, lots of hikers, photographers, and all the wildlife's amazing. And it's seven and a half miles around a really solid dirt tra- running trail around the outside. So I said to people, I'm going to come and do two laps of this park, be at this one place, start and finish, if anyone wants to come and join me. So the morning, this is the only time I changed my routine. On day 31, I was normally getting up naturally around 7 o'clock, quarter to 7, set my alarm for 10 to 5. (laughs) So it's a big difference, right? Um, cause I needed to be running by six to then get the, uh, 16 miles done and be in the park. So I went out and ran along the river. I live right next to the river Thames. So I ran down and back the river, got to this park area, um, to do two laps. And I had a couple of friends who joined me for the first lap and then they left. And then for the final lap, uh, I had my wife who joined me. And then it just so happened that all the people who had ran with me for one or two or three or four times throughout the the challenge, they all came. So two of my mates, my mate's um, uh, girlfriend and their dog, who I'd ran with a couple of times as well. So there was five of us and a dog that ran the last lap. The sun come out. Um, we had lots of chats. We had lots of laughs. You know, we had a dog that was carrying on. We put the GoPro on the dog. And um, it was just a really, really fun time being with people who I see all the time and really close friends. And it was just a nice way to finish a challenge. And then when I got to the designated finishing point, which was like a, a cafe and um, and a car park, I had two friends, uh, two clients, uh, coaching clients of mine who were walking and they said, we'll come and meet you there. So they were there as well to sort of have a bit of a clap and a cheer. And so many times we finish these challenges, these events, these races, or even a big project, you know, if we're talking about working in the world and it's by ourselves or it's just with one or two people. But to finish it with, uh, you know, like eight, however many people there were, close friends, people who I know, and we were there for like 10, 15 minutes, but just chatted and had a few photos and just had a bit of a bit of a chat. It really put an end to the challenge to sort of like we're here, we've celebrated it, it feels like a finishing point. And we all just sort of said like it was a phenomenal achievement, patted myself on the back and just went, wow, like it was special to have people around me that means something to me and understand the work that I put in and did put in to achieve it. So it, it was really a perfect finish to sum it up. I love that, man. And so with this finish, you you accomplished something really cool. Uh, is the process still more important than the product? 
Yeah, look, to say I ran 500 miles in a month is really cool um, and it's really fun to put on social media, um, you know, to be blunt, but that's not what gets me excited. What gets me excited is all the stuff that we've just talked about, the processes that I've reinforced during this challenge that I've already used and then ones that I've refined and ones that I've realized um, they're maybe not as efficient as what I first thought. So it was really what I learned during the 31 days. Um, like that's what I think about now. Like people, you know, I talked to my local greengrocer this morning when I, you know, I've got to go back and do like grocery shopping now, whereas my wife did it for the last three weeks. Um, and everyone's sort of like, because we live on the edge of London, everyone's like, where have you been? I haven't seen you for like a month. And I told them what I did and they were like, wow, 500 miles in a month. And like, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, the really cool thing. And I started to talk about um, what I learned, what we've been discussing and things like that. And even someone who has no interest in running, they get it because then they're like, yeah, I can, I understand. Like when we're, you know, for, for an example is when they've got all these vegetables that they've got to try and sell and they've got to do this, they've got to focus on doing that, not what they're going to do with the leftovers tomorrow. How can we sell these today? So that's what gets me excited. That's what gets my mind ticking over. And that's what I'll be remembering in one, three, six, nine months time is the things that I've learned, reinforced and refined during this challenge that I can use in my everyday life tomorrow or in six months or sometime in the future. Yeah. Luke, what question should I be asking that I haven't asked? Um, you're a great interviewer, mate. I think you've I think you've nailed it. I don't really know if there's if there's any questions that I feel like needs to be answered. I think it's really the calendar club was just something that I wanted to throw out there to experiment to see what fitness I had to do something that lasted a long period of time that I needed discipline with and I need to show up every day. And that was the biggest thing for me was um, I knew it was going to be tough at times. I knew my legs were going to be sore. So I just wanted to really, you know, see how disciplined I am and do – because I think in everyday life and also in, in sports is if we want to grow as individuals – we can't always wait for adversity to hit us in the face. We have to choose difficult things. We have to choose discomfort. And people say, I'm crazy for doing all these things and whatever. It's, I know it's not quote unquote normal, but it's not what I do. It's almost like that deep rooted why is I choose discomfort. Because when you choose and you're conscious of choosing discomfort, it's not the fact that you're trying to put yourself in that discomfort. It's what you learn from it. So then when I get faced with adversity, sometimes it doesn't even feel like adversity because I have so many tools to deal with it. So what one person might feel as a massive setback or a huge obstacle, it doesn't even register on my scale because I consciously choose to put myself in difficult situations to, to use the analogy, to sharpen my tools, to create more tools. And it's only when there's something big in my life, and I'm not talking about my sporting life, I'm talking about my personal life, my professional life, my, um, my marriage, everything, relationships. I have so many tools, life tools, to deal with adversity, to deal with obstacles that it has to be something pretty big in my life for me to take a step back and go, whoa, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Because most of the stuff like coronavirus doesn't sweat me. It is what it is. I can't change it directly. Right, how can I turn this into a positive opportunity? That was it, within a second. Whereas so many people, and let's say people are in a similar situation to me, they're still talking about how they lost sponsorship opportunities, how they lost speaking opportunities in March and April. Yes, my calendar got wiped in a second, but I haven't thought about that in months because I'm used to putting myself in difficult situations 
choosing to put myself um, in a you know in tough places to then create those tools to get me out. Mic drop, brother. Mic drop, man. This is awesome, Luke. Uh, just I mean, we'll put the links on there. But where, where would you like people to uh, to follow you, man? Yeah, come and check me out at LukeTiberski.com or online on Instagram. It's Luke Tiberski. Facebook, Luke Tiberski Athletes. Uh, occasionally throw some random stuff on Twitter at Luke Tiberski. And uh, if you want to see the documentaries I've got on Amazon Prime, uh, you can put in The Ultimate Triathlon, which has won a few awards, and also The 500 Men, which is very different but also quite eye-opening into – what it's like when things don't go to plan in these big challenges, which I feel there's not a whole lot of stuff out there where people show you when things don't go right. They normally just pull the pin and don't reveal what happened. But this is a really nice little dive into that. Or if you like reading or listening to books, Chasing Extreme on Audible or Amazon, um, drop, and, drop me a note and let me know what you thought of this interview and also what you learnt from this interview and uh, tag me and uh, Dr. Rob in it and let's go from there. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Thanks, man. Loved it. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.